0: Well, it's Navalny. What else could it be? Hello, it's Mark Galliotti with another In Moscow's Shadow Cellcast mini podcast. Now it's the morning of Monday the 18th of January, the day after Alexei Navalny flew back to Moscow and was arrested. And since I have the ineffable joy of basically a day taken up with online meetings, I thought I would just simply use the opportunity first to put out a quick hottest of hot takes. Now, when it comes down to it, obviously it's very hard to know exactly what to say about this case on the principle that, yes, one can talk about the extraordinary bravery that Navalny has shown in flying back to the country whose regime tried to murder him, We can talk about the extent to which he has now made himself increasingly not just a political leader, but also a moral leader. However, that's being said at the moment a lot by a lot of people, and therefore there's really not much I could really add to that. On the other hand, I would say, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, that I was, to the best of my knowledge, the only person who actually predicted that the Russians would make this um, little faint, and sent him to a different airport at the last minute, precisely to avoid the crowds of supporters and journalists. And if I am, at the moment, able to tune in to my inner Czechist, I'll be a Czechist whisperer, at least I might as well try and make some good out of that. So what I thought I'd try and do is very, very briefly outline the potential directions in which, I think, from the authorities' point of view, this might well go. And that comes with a very significant caveat. Look, I do not believe that this is a Kremlin that plans in detail and sort of works out its brooding schemes long term and sticks to them come what may. Often, this is actually very much about spur-of-the-moment improvisation or just quite simply kicking the proverbial can down the road. And I think there's going to be an element of that here. Because from their point of view, Navalny absolutely forced them into a position. They could not, from their logic, not arrest him when he arrived in, well, as it turned out, Sheremetyevo, not Vnukovo Airport. Given that there was outstanding warrants out for... V- violations of probation, however, however ridiculous the original case on which the probation claims you know, were there, it doesn't really matter. From their point of view, if they had not arrested him, they would either be saying, A, yes, we acknowledge this is an entirely bogus prosecution from the get-go, or B, we are afraid of you, we are afraid of the consequences of actually imposing our own laws. So, In a way, this was an absolutely predetermined outcome. But now what do they do? Now they do have options. And the first thing I should mention, and just to get it out of the way, I do not believe that they intend, plan at the moment at least, to kill him. There was all kinds of suggestions or whatever. He may even already be dead or whatever. I very much doubt that. Pray God that I'm not proven wrong. Instead, really there's three options. Well, he is arraigned for trial now on the 29th of January. And if they're really smart, and sadly, I've seen little evidence of that, but nonetheless, if they're really smart and Machiavellian, on the 29th, they will let him go. Slap on the wrist, fine, further probation, further limitations, or whatever. First of all, this underlines the Kremlin's conceit that, of course, they're not worried by the man that Putin will not name. Though in in itself, that is pretty much an obvious signal. But nonetheless, never mind. So it it speaks to this notion that they have nothing to worry about, that they are confident, rather than, as they currently look, being quite worried. I mean, let's just look at the ridiculous antics they did precisely to minimise the impact of Navalny's landing. I mean, that is not the activities of a regime that feels confident in its power. Just a sideline. And at the same time, if they do let him go, look that doesn't in any way preclude them from hitting him with further court cases in the future. Especially as Evgeny Prigozhin, the troll farmer, mercenary commander, and general sort of Kremlin factotum, uh, is already sort of launching fur- further legal moves against him. Perhaps most importantly, though, what they can do is they can leave him out in the, in the open, shall we say, but conduct an operation which really reflects the way that often organised crime and counter-terrorism operations go, which is you don't go after the guy at the top because there's always the chance that someone else can supplant him. Instead, you aim at the, the middle ranks of any organisation and you look particularly for the specialists who have particular talents or skills or contacts or roles that would be very hard to duplicate and which dramatically increase the power of that organisation. So if we're talking about organised crime group, then you often go after, for example, the people who know how to launder the money or otherwise hide and move it. If we're talking about a terrorist organisation, and this is a strategy that was actually used quite successfully by both the British against the IRA and Israel more generally, is, again, you look for people with particular skills. Now, that might be, for example, the the especially adept bomb maker, whose capacity to produce high-quality bombs, then it gets used throughout the organisation. Now, obviously, look, Navalny's organisation is neither organised crime nor is it terrorism, But nonetheless, the principle applies. You know, who are the people who actually are carrying out intelligence operations in the sense of gathering material about the corruption that can then be used? Um, Are there particular people who are crucial in the production of his videos who could be actually taken out? Most importantly of all, now as he builds out his network more and more effectively on a national basis... You want to hit the national organisers. You want to keep him a Muscovite phenomenon as far as possible. So you can still do that while he's out free. So that's option one, which is basically seem to be generous, seem to be confident, while actually trying to break his organisation beneath him. I have to say, I wish it's not so, but this is one option I think that is the least likely one. Option two is the more sort of middle-ranking one, which is you stick him in prison until after autumn and the state Duma elections that are taking place then. After all, it is clear, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, that Navalny's smart voting campaign, this notion of tactically voting for whichever candidate, doesn't matter who it is, hold your nose, whether it's a communist or a liberal democrat or whoever, whoever is most likely to supplant united Russia, that actually does offer some chance of, if not, I mean I don't think for a minute supplanting United Russia, but making it much harder for it to acquire, especially the kind of supermajority that this Kremlin feels comfortable with, because half of those seats in the state Duma are on first past the post-elections, which has always depended in, pa- in the past, in United Russia squaring off against a fragmented opposition. United Russia in these constituencies did not have to win a majority, just one more vote than whoever comes second. So, obviously, Navalny's people would continue pushing the smart vote campaign, but without Navalny, without that organisational and above all inspirational figure, whether it will be anything like as effective. And, of course, at the same time, you can still go after particularly his, his regional apparatus. Clearly, this would still mean the same kind of opprobrium internationally and maybe even sanctions, as if they plan to keep him in for longer. But again, here I reckon that the Kremlin probably feels that it can live with it. We have to understand that although in the West sanctions are one of the main instruments we have, I think the Kremlin has adapted to them. doesn't mean to say they're not important. They're very important as symbols of what the West feels and evidence that in fact it still is willing to try and bring the Kremlin to account, I just think that if we're honest and if we want a serious Western strategy, they're not enough. But nonetheless, as I said, there will be sanctions but the Kremlin presumably feels it could live with it. Option three is you bury him, and I hope we're talking metaphorically, within the prison system long term. We're not just talking about a few months to get past the Duma elections. We're talking years, years and years. Now, this obviously has uh, the power to make Navalny something symbolic. And already it's interesting that uh, quick parallels have been drawn with Nelson Mandela. Um, a parallel that works in some ways, doesn't work in others. Um, and I think also it's, it's demeaning to both of them to re- immediately reach for the parallel. Navalny would be a very different kind of, of moral symbol. You still then get the issue of sanctions. You still have the fact that this will become a constant irritant, that no doubt Western uh, agencies and individuals and interlocutors and governments will raise continually, time after time after time, month after year. But again, maybe the Kremlin feels it it can live with this, not least because I do believe that Navalny would acquire a symbolic moral symbol, which actually is powerful. But I don't think this Kremlin fully understands or appreciates symbolism of that kind, symbolism that doesn't come with a flag and a tank and a billboard. So it may well be that they they will be understating the impact of putting him away for a long time. Now, what's my guess? Well, this is the really difficult bit, but let's be honest. Um, It it would be cheating for me not to at least make a guess in the full understanding that it is a guess and that we are in dangerous new territory. My guess is the middle one, that they put him in prison, but really planning on putting him in prison just until after the elections. It's a compromise, a messy compromise that in some ways has the worst of all worlds. But I suspect that this is a Kremlin that in many ways defaults to compromises. But we need to throw in this major caveat. The very fact of Navalny's attempted assassination shows that the paradigm has shifted, shows that what was once acceptable tolerated as part of the fake democratic facade of this regime no longer is. Maybe Navalny got more dangerous, Maybe Putin became even more risk-averse than he was. I suspect, actually, it's a combination of the two. But the point is, something has changed. And that's very, very difficult to predict. And this is the thing. I mean, Navalny, as well as being an inspiring example of personal bravery, is also offering us a test case. A test case of what repression looks like in this new stage of late Putinism. And from what happens to Navalny in the period leading up to his trial on the 29th of January, and in terms of what happens to him afterwards, we will be able to learn something more about what's going on with this regime. Not much help for Navalny at the moment, but we'll just have to wait and see. As I said, that was just a very, very quick, hottest of hot takes. I will try and return to this in a a more... uh, thoughtful and considered basis later in the week or maybe at the weekend. But for now, thank you very much as ever for listening.